Good morning. It's great to be here this morning, worshiping the Lord together with you. And it's also great to be able to share this time together with kids every morning. You, you don't get the treat of coming up front and seeing all the things that they're doing and saying, but uh, it's a lot of fun, most of the time. So it's, it's a blessing to have the children here together, uh, worshiping together with us. Uh, it's good to uh, recognize that we have some guests here as well today. I'd like to welcome you here and hope that you feel at home already as we worship God together. Let's just uh, take another moment to bow and pray as we prepare to hear from God's word this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for the blessing of children. We thank you, Lord, for from their, their simple hearts and minds, Lord, come some of the most profound truths and the most simple faith, and we know that's pleasing to you. And so we just pray, God, that we could become more like children in our faith towards you, that we wouldn't always seek to, to have all the answers or to question you, but to trust and know that, that you have our best at heart and that you know what's good for us. And so help us to trust you in that, Lord. And now even this morning as we hear from your word, I pray that we would have that simple childlike faith to hear what you have for us. Help us to receive it, God, in a way that is practical for our lives, that we could leave here this morning and live better lives because we've heard from your word. And so we pray for that, Lord. I pray that you would give me strength for this message and speak through me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus once said to his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. I think that's probably one of the most simple yet profound statements we've ever heard because things haven't changed, have they? In this world you will have trouble. When we talk about trouble, we recognize that we're all going to face trouble at some time or another. Trouble is simply a part of life. Sometimes we go looking for trouble or sometimes trouble comes looking for us right? We've probably been in both categories at one time or another. For example, you know you're in trouble when you wake up in a hospital bed with your insurance broker there telling you that though your policy covers falling off the roof, it doesn't cover hitting the ground. That would be trouble. (laughs) And I think we've heard some stories in the news lately right along those lines about insurance policies. Now, of course, the types of troubles we can face in this world very drastically, and we could give all sorts of examples. But the fact is that no matter how careful we are, no matter how prudent we try to be, how wise we attempt to be, as long as we live in this world, whether big or small, we are guaranteed that some form of troubles are going to come our way. And we'll have only to take a quick look around the world over these past couple of weeks to see that we live in a profoundly troubled world. 2015 is not yet two weeks old, and we've already been confronted by the disturbing news headlines coming out of France. You've probably been aware of of the number of people that were killed there. I believe the death toll is somewhere close to 20, including those who perpetrated the attack. This is coming on the heels, of course, of other violence that's happened right here in our own country, in Edmonton and Calgary, between Christmas and New Year's. This is, of course, following on the heels of 2014 and all the violence we've seen around the world in this previous year, and now this year, is still carrying on much the same. Resentment, hatred, violence, and it seems to be this never-ending cycle of revenge and thirsting for vengeance. It's still alive and well in our world today. And everywhere we look around us, whether in the news headlines or just in our own personal circumstances, 
There is so much trouble in this world that if we focus on it for too long, it would drown us in despair and hopelessness. And that is why I believe that as much as ever before, we need to hear the rest of Jesus' words to his disciples. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This is so important for us to grasp today, and I hope that your hearts are open to that. You see, the only way that we can truly overcome our troubles is by walking in faith with the one who has overcome the worst that this world can throw at a single human life. I want you to just consider for a moment the life that Jesus lived and everything that he experienced. He experienced poverty, loneliness, hunger, thirst, temptation, rejection, being misunderstood, betrayed by his closest friends, mocked, scorned, falsely accused, imprisoned, tortured, humiliated, and finally experienced the most violent of deaths that we can inflict on another human being. All of these things Jesus experienced and more. And anyone other than the Son of God would have been crushed by the sheer magnitude of these troubles. But when we look at Jesus' life, what we find so incredible is that he was not crushed by them. He was not destroyed by all of these troubles. No, he actually overcame them, even death itself. Jesus literally, we believe in the resurrection. He literally came back from the dead, and in doing so, he beat it. In other words, Jesus won, and now he invites us to share in his victory. And so in the face of all of our troubles, and the biggest and baddest troubles this world can throw our way, Jesus' life is our hope. Because Jesus overcame, we too can overcome through him. And so that is why we believe in him today. That no matter what this world can throw our way, no matter how much evil we face with him, and his life is our example, we can overcome with him. This is the message that Peter echoes in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Let me read that for you. And if you like, you have your Bibles, turn there with me to 1 Peter. Beginning in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to conclude the second half of a series that I started way back last summer in 1 Peter entitled, Living Hope for a Dying World. You may recall the context in which Peter was writing this letter was in a time of tremendous turmoil and upheaval in the Roman Empire as Christianity was beginning to spread in the entire Mediterranean world, and as a result, they were also beginning to suffer increasing persecution. And so Peter encourages these early Christians that in the face of these opposition, in the face of this persecution, in the face of all of these troubles, don't lose heart, don't become discouraged, keep living the life of faith the way Jesus showed us. And then he gives some very practical teaching on how to live and behave as Christians, even in the face of difficult circumstances. And so today we're going to focus on how to live the life of an overcomer. Now I realize that's probably a word I made up, but I like it. Because Jesus said that he overcame, through him we can overcome as well. And so today we're going to learn to live the life of an overcomer. In Romans chapter 12, verse 21, Paul writes, Do not be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. Now, an overcomer is someone who responds to evil by doing good. If someone was to sum up your life and describe you, would that be something they would use in the description? That when you are confronted with evil, your, your go-to response is to do good. Does that define your life? Well, it should. As Christians, that is what we are called to. When we are faced by evil, do not return with more evil, but instead return and reply with good. Sounds easy, right? Easy? Is that easy for you to do? When someone does evil, is that your gut response? Is to do good or to do evil in return? Most of the time, our human nature says when we're confronted with something evil, we want to put it in its place. And so we need to learn from Scripture how to actually put this into practice. Let's skip ahead to verses 8 and 9 of 1 Peter chapter 3 and read there what Peter says to us to do in the face of evil. He says, Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. This passage is the conclusion of Peter's teaching on how believers ought to conduct themselves in all relationships. In the previous chapter, he talks about in relation to government, to masters or employers, and then within the context of marriages. But here, Peter is now addressing everyone. He is saying that no one can let themselves off the hook from what he is about to say. If you want to overcome your troubles and the evil of this world, here is the prescription. And the first thing is this. Live in harmony. Live in harmony. We all love harmony, don't we? Especially in our music. Who doesn't enjoy a good harmony? We heard some beautiful harmony this morning as the praise team was leading us. We Mennonites especially enjoy a good harmony when it comes to four-part harmony, right? I know a lot of, a lot of us here today are fans of quartets that sing in four-part harmony or, of course, in choir singing in four-part harmony. The different parts made up of soprano and alto, tenor and bass. And when blended and balanced against each other just right, it makes for some of the most beautiful, soul-stirring music in the world. In the same way, Peter gives us four parts to having Christian harmony. He says, be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Four simple prescriptions he gives, and yet I suspect that if for just one year we set aside all the other teaching of Scripture and just focused on practicing these four things towards each other, I think we would be amazed at the harmony we would have here. But how is harmony ultimately achieved? Does it happen by everyone singing the exact same line? Would that achieve harmony? No, it doesn't. Everyone has to sing the part that they are given. And so, basses sing bass, sopranos sing soprano, the only trouble is that sometimes we don't think that our line is important as someone else's. Or perhaps we're not as gifted as someone else. Or maybe we feel we're not as appreciated as so-and-so. And what begins to happen is resentment can creep in. And so we begin to sing our line half-heartedly. Or worse yet, we try to sing someone else's line that we're not gifted for. Or perhaps we might even quit altogether. A man by the name of Leonard Bernstein a great musician, was once asked which instrument was the most difficult to play. 
And he thought for a moment and then finally replied, The second fiddle. I can get plenty of first violinists, but to find someone who can play the second fiddle with enthusiasm, that's a problem. And if we have no second fiddle, we have no harmony. And isn't that the way we so often are in life? There are those of us who have to play second fiddle, as it were. And yet we look at the first violinist, the person who's getting the lead role, and we say, theirs is more important. And yet without the second fiddle, there is no harmony. And in the same way, living in harmony as a church means that we all sing the part that God has given us. It means when we stop worrying about who we think might have a more important line than us, stop worrying about how everyone else sounds, and we simply focus on the one who we are singing for. And we sing the part that God, our conductor, has given us. We do it as well as we can, with as much enthusiasm as we can, because we're not singing to impress each other. We are singing for God. We are not living to please one another. We are living to please God. And if we all do that with our lives, just as in a choir, our church, I believe, would be pleasantly surprised to hear the beautiful hum of harmony taking form around us. So this is the first thing that Peter points to. Live in harmony. The second thing he points to in verses 9 to 10 is be a blesser, not an oppressor. Let's read again verses 9 and 10. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Two taxidermists were walking down a street one day. Both of these taxidermists, if you're not familiar with the term, they were experts in dressing and displaying wildlife. And so they're walking along the street one day when they stop in front of a window where on display was an owl uh, sitting on a perch. Well, they began to study the owl and they began to immediately criticize the way it was mounted. They could tell the eyes were the wrong color. Its wings were not in proper proportion to its head. Its feathers were not neatly arranged and its feet were obviously not real. Just as they had finished their critique... The owl turned his head straight towards them, blinked, stretched out his wings, and flew away. (laughs) Turned out they were in front of a bird sanctuary. Just goes to show, it's easier to be critical than correct. But the thing is that even when we are correct in our criticism, according to God, we are still wrong. You get that? As Christians... We are not called to be critical. We are not called to carry spirits of critique. We are not called to carry vindictive spirits. Someone well said that whenever you sling mud, you lose ground. You see, every time you or I fail to live in harmony and to love others as Christ loved us, every time we sling mud, every time we repay an insult with an insult, a slight with a slight, we are wrong. And when we are wrong in this, Peter says that we negate the favor and blessing of God on our lives. My fellow brothers and sisters, we are not called to have critical spirits. We are called to have gracious spirits. To this you are called, he says. And what is this? You are called to a spirit of graciousness to be a blessing towards others. A gracious spirit resists the temptation to retaliate and instead seeks to bless. There's a story about Booker T. Washington. 
He's a famous American. If you're not familiar with him, he has an amazing story. He is a renowned African-American educator who lived from 1865 to 1915. Booker T. Washington was born a slave in the American South in the time of the, the slave trade and the worst that American history really has to offer. He saw it all. He was born into slavery. He saw his parents sold as slaves, his brothers and sisters sold as slaves, and all the barbarity that went along with the slave trade. And yet somehow he did not allow this to crush him. His faith in God pulled him through, and he ends up winning his freedom and becoming a great educator of other young African Americans. He went on to form the Tuskegee Institute. And he was once stopped by a wealthy white woman after he had achieved all of the success in in his life. He had formed this institute. And this wealthy white woman had just seen him walking down the street, and she didn't recognize who he was. And she she just says to him, Boy, Would you like to earn a few dollars by chopping wood for me? Well, Professor Washington just stopped in his tracks, turned towards the woman, smiles at her, and says, Sure, I've got nothing else to do right now. So he proceeds to roll up his sleeves and do the humble chore that she had requested. He chopped all of her firewood, and when he was finished, he carried the logs into the house and stacked them by the fireplace. Just so happened a little girl was in that house who recognized who he was later revealed his identity to the lady who had asked him to do the chore. And the next morning, the embarrassed woman went to see Mr. Washington in his office at the Institute, apologizing profusely. He replied, It's perfectly all right, madam. Occasionally, I enjoy a little manual labor, and besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. She shook his hand warmly and assured him that his humble and gracious attitude had endeared him and his work to her heart. Not long afterwards, she showed her admiration by persuading some wealthy acquaintances to join her in donating thousands of dollars to the Institute. What a perfect example of being a blesser, not an oppressor. You know, he could have been perfectly justified in replying, Do you know who I am? How dare you address me that way? He could have derided her for her racist assumptions about him. He could have shamed her, but he didn't. Instead, he graciously blessed her in a very simple way. And in doing so, he not only made a new friend, but he received a blessing in return. Andrew Whitman writes, The crucial test is this. Will the situation control me, dragging me into getting even? Or will I let Jesus be in control of giving a blessing and receiving one in return? Don't let evil set the agenda. That, my friends, is the life of an overcomer. We don't allow evil or the troubles of this world to set the agenda of how we are going to live and respond. We look to Jesus, and we let Jesus set the agenda. And so we choose to bless, not oppress or retaliate. Thirdly, Peter says simply, do good. Do good. He must turn from evil, Peter writes, and uh, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. You see, it's not enough to just passively resist evil and never say anything bad. If that's all the Christian life required, then we would all just be better off to just duct tape our mouths shut and lock ourselves in a room and never come out. If that's all the Christian life required. But that's not what the Christian life requires. No, the Christian life is not to be lived passively but dynamically. Look at the words that Peter uses. He says, do good, 
Seek peace. Pursue peace. He is emphatic about this. This requires action. It's a dynamic life. One that's filled with all kinds of good and courageous deeds that are spurred on by a deep love for God and a deep love for our fellow man. These are the sort of deeds that are not for the faint of heart, not for the passive who are just going to sit idly by and do nothing. These are for people of action who have the courage to do what is right and do good to others even when good is not being brought your way. It is a life that does not reserve its deeds of love and kindness only towards its friends or family, but it also seeks out the hurting, the outcasts, and even our enemies. It is the kind of life that is willing to go out of its way to show the love of Christ towards others. After the collapse of the Berlin Wall in 1989, there was no person in all of East Germany who was more despised and hated than the former communist dictator Erich Honecker. Those of you who lived through that era will recognize that name. He had been stripped of all of his offices. Even the Communist Party rejected him. Kicked out of his villa, the new government refused him and his wife new housing. The Honeckers, who were once the most powerful people in, in East Germany, were now homeless and destitute. Enter Pastor Uwe Holmer, director of a Christian help center north of Berlin. Made aware of the Honecker situation, Pastor Holmer felt... It would be wrong to simply give them a room in the homeless shelter. And so the pastor and his family decided to take the former dictator and his wife into their own home. Eric Honecker's wife, Margot, had ruled the East German educational system for 26 years. And in fact, eight of Pastor Homer's ten children had been turned down for higher education due to her policies, which discriminated against Christians. But now the Homers were caring for their personal enemy the most hated man in Germany. This was so unnatural, so unconventional, so Christ-like. Love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. This is the life of an overcomer. And so in closing, I want to ask you, do you want to live the life that overcomes evil, that overcomes the trouble of this world? Then ask yourself, Do I respond to evil by doing good? Am I living in harmony with my Christian brothers and sisters? Am I a blesser or an oppressor? Do I return an insult with an insult, or do I return an insult with a blessing? And finally, am I doing good to those around me and to even my enemies? May God grant each of us the grace and the strength to grow more into Jesus and into the life of an overcomer. Let's pray. Father God, your teaching to us this morning is very clear. Lord, it is clear, but it is not easy. And so we simply acknowledge that we need your help. We cannot live this sort of a life on our own or in our own strength. Lord Jesus, your example is too high to attain by our own effort. We need you to live through us and in us. And so help us today, we pray. Give us faith, Lord, to look to you for our strength day by day. That we could live in harmony with each other. That we could bless. And that we could do good. Even, Lord, towards those who would persecute us. And so we pray, God, that you would give us more love for you. More love for our fellow man. And, Lord, may this church be characterized by our love for one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.